And he grew carrots. And one day he went out to his garden and he found the most beautiful carrot. It was the biggest, most perfectly formed carrot he had ever seen in his life. And he said to himself, who is worthy to have such a carrot? And the only one he could think of was the king. And so the farmer took his carrot to the king and he waited in a long line of people who were coming to the king with different needs and different things. And then finally got to the king and then he presented the king. He said, king, this carrot grew in my garden and uh, the only one I could think of that's worthy to have such a carrot is you. So I want to give it to you as a gift. And the king received it and then the farmer was done and he bowed and he went away. And the king was so pleased with this simple gift from a simple farmer that he went to, he said to his uh, uh, counselors in the room, he says, you make sure that farmer is given a whole nother acre of land so he can grow more carrots. Well, one of the noblemen who was in the courtyard heard this whole transaction and he thought, if you can get an acre of land for a carrot, what could you get for a horse? And so he took the finest horse out of his stable, and the next day he came to the, got in the line and, and met before the king, and he said, Oh, king, this is the finest horse of my entire stable, and I have decided to give this to you. And the king said, Thank you. And nothing more. And the nobleman was mad. He was really upset because he didn't get anything out of the transaction and the king had discerned his heart's intention and so the king confronted him and he said, the farmer gave me his carrot but you were giving yourself the horse. If you obey God, does it matter why you do it? Does it matter why you obey God? In the, in the scriptures that we've been going through, we've been going through the book of Galatians, it seems that Paul, who's the author of, of this letter to a number of churches, he seems to be making a huge deal about the reason people obey God. He's, he's, he keeps like, it seems like he's saying that the, the reason you obey God really matters. In fact, he goes so far as to say that if you do it for one reason, it's freedom. And if you do it for another reason, it's slavery. And that's what we're going to read this morning. So let's read Galatians chapter 5, 1 to 6. I didn't bring my glasses, so I'm going to be dependent on what's up on the screen here this morning. So if you do, can we pull that up? Galatians 5, 1 to 6. We'll read these verses. Uh, maybe we'll read these verses. No, it just takes a few moments here. There we go. How about let's read them together, okay? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. 
For through the Spirit we are eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. All right, let's go back. I'll go right back to the first verse. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I said that sometimes obedience to God looks like freedom and sometimes it actually looks like slavery. And how could this possibly be? There's an interesting couple words in there. It says, don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Burdened again. Now, do you remember the... I mean, it's been a few weeks since we've been in Ephesians, so maybe you might forget the context here. Um, Paul is not writing to Jewish people. He's writing to Greek people, uh, and they live in an area uh, of Galatia. It's sort of like a, like a province, and th- there's been a whole bunch of churches that he started in these areas. But these people are not Jewish people, so it's really strange for him to say, don't, uh, I don't want you to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He's talking about how these um, Jewish followers of Jesus, who maybe were well-meaning but were very misguided, maybe, the, maybe not all of them were well-meaning, but at least some of them, have come into all these churches that Paul started and began to tell them that in order um, to be right with God, it's not just enough to trust in what Jesus has done for you, but you need to add to that um, following all the Jewish laws. It's not just Jesus plus nothing that really is enough. You don't have everything when you have that, which is what Paul would have taught, but he said now you need to to obey the Jewish laws. And a big part of that was the big act of circumcision. And it is a big act because all these guys would be adults. And adult circumcision is a little harder to think about than childhood circumcision is. Stand firm then, don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Burdened again, these guys had never tried to obey the Jewish law before in their lives. So what is he talking about when he says being burdened again? Why does he say again? It seems like Paul is stating that obeying God for the wrong reason could be a bondage just like pagan worship was. So all these guys, all these these men and women and, and, and people in in uh, the province of Galatia, who were in all these little churches, they had grown up worshiping at the temples and at the idols of pagan gods. So if you want to have a baby, you, you give a sacrifice uh, to the goddess of fertility. If you want to win a battle, you, you give a sacrifice to the god of war. And, uh, and, and, but basically, you never, never know if you've done enough. The thing about worshiping these, these, um, these fickle Roman and Greek gods was that you never knew where you stood. You were always uncertain. And Paul's saying, if you think about your lives before you uh, in, encountered the truth about Jesus, how uncertain you were in your worship, how uncertain you are with, were with God, he says, if you receive what these Jewish leaders are coming in, they're telling you, Jesus is not enough. You need to add to your trust in Jesus uh, an attempt to keep 
the whole Jewish law. He says, if you accept that message, he says, you're going to become a slave again. You're going to become uncertain again. You're going to lack confidence again. You're going to be just back where you started, where you could never, never know whether you measured up, where you could never know whether you'd done enough, where you'd always be insecure. You never knew if you'd done enough to appease or please the moody Greek or Roman gods. And if you accept this message, you'll never know, you'll never be confident that you have done enough to please God himself. So pagan worship was like slavery in the fact that you lived a life of uncertainty at the, at the whim of fickle masters who held your fate in their hands. And Paul was worried that they would live as followers of Jesus in the very same way. Here's the thing. Jesus plus obeying the law is really only one or the other. You're either, you know, you're really either doing one thing. You're either trusting in Jesus' work on your behalf to make you acceptable to God, or you're trusting in your own efforts to make yourself acceptable to God. Your faith is in one or the other. And Paul tells us that if you don't stand firm against this lie, against this false teaching, if you don't stand firm in your mind, if you don't capture thoughts that are not the true gospel, if you don't capture them and, and corral them and reject them, he says, you will be burdened again. You will, you will be burdened again. And it'll, it'll be like a slavery to you all over again, like when before you experienced the freedom of Christ in your life. So you're either completely trusting in Jesus' work on your behalf to make you acceptable to God, or you're trusting in your own efforts to make yourself acceptable to God. And Paul says that, the, that when you ex you're trusting in your own efforts, there's some really tragic results. For, let's go to the second verse. He says, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised... Christ will be of no value to you at all. So if you, put your, if you put your trust in keeping the law, he says, you will lose, you will lose the, the value. If you're trusting in your own efforts to earn a right standing with God, you won't experience the value of who Jesus is or what he's done for you. Let's go to verse 3. He says, again I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. This is more bad news. If you're going to try to earn the favor of God through impressive acts like getting circumcised as an adult, that in itself will never be enough. You must perfectly obey every command of God which no human can ever do. Wow. And then we get to verse 4. He says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So just that, that phrase, trying to be justified by the law. I, love the, I think it's very helpful, just that word, trying. Trying. You're trying to obey God in order to get something from him or earn his favor or deserve his favorable response. All of this trying to earn is pushing you further and further away from trusting in Jesus. And in the end, it's a failure to believe the good news about Jesus. It's a, it's a failure to receive his grace and to walk in his grace. So the opposite of trying to earn God's favor 
What, what's the opposite of trying to earn God's favor for our efforts? It's trusting in what Jesus has done to make us right with God. Okay, so I'll look at some of the differences. Hopefully some of these are getting more practical. We've been a little bit theological so far. Let's try to get really practical. What's the difference between trying to earn a right standing with God or trusting in Jesus that he has done enough through his perfect life lived for us? His, his, it, it, uh, he lived the life we couldn't live, right? I mean, we're called to be holy, but we, we have a sin nature that, that makes us utter failures at that. So Jesus lived the perfect life, a sinless life, that we couldn't live. And then he died a sacrificial death, the death that really we deserved, but he died it and he was the perfect sacrifice to make us right with God. So what's the difference between trusting in that, what Jesus has done for us, so that we could have a right relationship with God, or trying to be right with God? Well, let me just walk through a few things. Trying, trying says this, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But trusting says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. You see the difference? Trying says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. So what do I base my feeling of whether I'm right with God or not? My performance. How's my performance been? It's like, you know, semi-trailers have that. How's my driving? And then there's a 1-800 number on the back. <laughs> it's like, how's my performance as a Christian? <laughs> oh, my goodness. If there's any area where the enemy really just plays with you and plays with you, where he brings accusation after accusation after accusation, it's in this area. You know, that, uh, in Revelation it says, day and night he stands to accuse us before God. Relentless accusation. So when you fail, when your performance doesn't measure up, and you know it, what do you get? Accusation. Now if you were trusting in your ability to be good enough for God, you are going to be miserable. Well, you're actually going to be full of despair and totally discouraged when that accusation comes. But if your faith was in what Jesus has done, you actually have a defense. See, if you're trying to be righteous, you know what the enemy is going to come in and he's going to say, what kind of Christian are you? Seriously. What a total disappointment you must be to God. And how could God ever love you? Why? Because our right standing with God was based on our own performance and our performance didn't measure up. A couple weeks ago, I was going to preach this sermon a couple weeks ago. Some circumstances happened, so I'm preaching it now. A couple weeks ago, I had a, uh, let's say, a, a bad week, but particularly a bad day in the bad week. And the one day, I just kept noticing my failures, like again and again and again. I do a lot of conversations with people, and this is what I noticed. I, I was in one conversation, and I was the world's worst listener. I hardly listened at all, and I did all the talking. And I went over from that conversation, and I was like, whoa, that was terrible. Then, I was in another conversation, and I found my, things coming out of my, my mouth that were, like, proud and arrogant. And I was like, whoa, that was terrible. And then I had, you know, several things. At the end of the day, I just felt lousy. So, here comes the accuser. What kind of Christian are you, Steve? Oh, he's got extra ammo because of extra stuff, right? What kind of pastor are you, Steve? It's like, whoa. 
Now, if I'm trying to be right with God through my own effort, I have no defense. I have nothing to speak back. I'm just going to go wallow in my failure. But if I'm trusting in what Jesus has done for me, I readily understand I am a sinner saved by grace. That's who I am. And actually, my sin demonstrates, my failure demonstrates that I am a prime candidate for a Savior. That I need someone to atone for my sin in my life. And that my goodness is not nearly enough to atone for my sin because I can't live that perfect life, but Jesus did. And Jesus makes, because of his death on the cross, there's this exchange that happens. It's an amazing exchange. It's hard to get your head around it, but if you do, and if it sinks down into your heart, it'll change your life, that he has taken the blame and the shame for all your sins, past, present, and future on himself on the cross. And through this exchange that happens through the cross, he gives us his righteousness. So that when we stand in the presence of God, when we stand before a holy God, we don't stand, uh, we don't stand um, with no defense. We stand clothed in Jesus. That God looks at us like he looks at Jesus. And that we didn't earn that, and we didn't deserve that, but that it's ours in Christ. So the accuser comes in and says, what kind of Christian are you? And you say, you know what, I'm not depending on my performance. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm looking to Jesus. And the more you fix your eyes on Jesus, the less you'll wallow in your own failure. Because you know you never were the hero anyhow. You know your story is a story about Jesus. You know that he's the one that centers around. So trying has fear and security as its motivation. Got to measure up. Trusting has grateful joy as its motivation. God did this for me. It's amazing. People are trying... They get angry with God when circumstances go wrong because they think that they deserve a comfortable life from God. I did this stuff for you, God, and how come I served you and then bad things happened? This is an angry place. Over here, bad things happen and they say, okay, I'm struggling and it's hard and it's difficult, but I'm going to keep trusting you that you're working things together for my good, that you love me, that even if the circumstances aren't nice circumstances, it isn't a thing. I didn't earn a thing. I don't deserve a thing. What do I deserve? Death and separation from you. That's what I deserve. And so even in my struggle, even in my, my, my most painful experience of life, I look to you and I praise you. Because I'm trusting in what you're doing, not trusting in what I'm doing. People who try, are trying to earn their way with God, spend most of their time telling God what they want. 
Even their prayer life is affected by that. But people who trust, they spend most of their prayer time, or much of their prayer time, thanking and praising God. Because they're not focused on me, they're focused on him. What he has done. People who try base their identity and self-worth on how they perform and will often be either proud, because they did good, or self-loathing, because they did bad, and they're more prone to look down on others. But people who trust have their identity and self-worth centered on Jesus, which allows them to avoid pride and self-loathing and looking down on others. So I wrote a rhyme to summarize this passage so I can remember it. And I'm not sure if I even remember my rhyme, so I had to write it down. So that, I, I just something I tried, but this is what I wrote. Stop trying to earn, but discern. What am I trusting in? Trust in Jesus, stand firm, don't become a slave again. I'll read it one more time. Stop trying to earn, but discern. What am I trusting in? Trust in Jesus, stand firm. Don't become a slave again. I heard this this summer from somebody else, and, and um, I'll share it with you, but you know, it, someone said, made the analogy, they said that some Christians are like hummingbirds and some are like eagles. And you know, hummingbirds, they're fascinating to watch. They beat their wings at like, you know, a gazillion times a second. It's amazing. Like, they can just be stationary in the air, but they're just, their wings are just going and going and going. Little teeny wings. Just going and going and going. Do you have any music? Do you have any music for hummingbirds? Just, ah, I'm going to try. I'm just going to try to stay in the air. Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay, okay. I'm exhausted just by the thought of it. I can't imagine being a hummingbird. What an exhausting life. They're neat to watch, but I'm glad it's them that's doing it and not me. But so many times, we get into that pattern, don't we? Where it's like, trying and trying and trying. I'm trying to measure up and do better and, and perform and, and, and succeed and, and accomplish. And I'm exhausted. And eagles are different. Eagles are different. They, um, they soar. They soar. So, so an eagle has big wings, and they just sort of let them out, and they find those air... Oh. <laughs> there we go, there we go. There's some music for it. Oh, no, not this song, not this song. <laughs> okay, okay. So they soar, just like... I was, I was trying to forget that movie. Anyhow... No, 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 stop. <laughs> okay. So they soar. <laughs> well, that ruins everything. They soar. And they just, it's just effortless. They just soar. They find those, those warm air currents and they let them lift them. And do we have, I did grab a clip there. Do we have a clip of, a, of an eagle? Can we watch an eagle? It's just, here's 30 seconds. Watch an eagle.
So, would you rather have a week this week that's a hummingbird week or an eagle week? Yeah, no kidding. The Bible talks different points about rising up on the wings of an eagle as we trust in God. And that's what those warm air currents are. It's the truth about God. It's the truth about God that's there and it's constant and it's, and it's, it's true. You know what? God's love is beaming towards you 24-7 and never quits. That's something you can soar on. That's something that you can depend on. That's something that you can go to. Paul was so agitated in this letter because he was so concerned. He was so concerned for all these people that he told the truth about Jesus to and they received it, but now some other people were coming in. He says, he says later in the verses, he says, who cut in on you? You were running so well. It was like their life was just this, you know, sort of running with God. It's like I'm trusting in God. And then these people suddenly said, hey, let me shackle you with a few extra things. Are you circumcised yet? What? Here's a whole bunch of uh, Jewish traditions, Jewish rituals, some laws and commands. If you want to be right with God, you better start keeping all these things. You better really daily keep a list of how you're performing for God. And you're saying, last week, how many of you were here for, for Dave Wick's excellent sermon on with God? With God. With God. What an amazing thought. That that's what we're called to, a live a life with God. But he was, he was saying, people are cutting in on you and they were trying to take you away from this life-soaring, trusting God over here where it's going to be all hummingbird all the time. It's going to be all effort and it's never going to be enough. And you'll never have confidence. You'll never have full confidence about the love of God for you. And you'll be a victim of the accuser. He'll play with you and, 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 and accuse you and, and taunt you, and you'll have no defense. No wonder Paul is agitated. I mean, he says one of the craziest things I've almost read in the entire Bible in this chapter. I didn't get to it because we just read the first six verses. But he said, those guys who are promoting circumcision, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Talk about agitated preaching. And someone caught me in the foyer today. They said, Steve's tucked in his shirt and he's carrying a rope. Anyhow, he wondered if this would be a really serious sermon, but I don't know. Paul was like, no. If you leave trusting in Jesus, oh, Christ will be of no value. All that you have in Christ, all that you were meant to have, you won't have it. Anymore. Can I get some volunteers? I've got to use this rope here. I, I need a couple of volunteers who wouldn't mind doing a tug of war. Okay. Well, see. Well, I'll, Dave, you come. I need three volunteers. I need three. Kyle, I'll get you two. I need one more volunteer. One more volunteer. Someone wants to go against Dave, not Kyle. We'll, start, we'll just say that, so that, because I might not get another volunteer if I don't get, if I don't get, anyway, I got, I got a third volunteer? Yeah, I'm missing a hand somewhere, thank you. Just come if I can't see you. Yeah, okay, great, great, okay. There we go, so we got three volunteers. Okay, so Kyle, I'm going to get you to stand off here for a little bit. So, yeah, all right, so there you go, one end, 
One in, so we have Dave and Monty. Monty, Dave and Monty. Okay, Dave and Monty. Now be careful. I don't want anyone let, letting go of the rope and killing themselves on a mic stand or, or anything like that. Okay, I don't want anyone to get hurt. But just pull it tight. Don't pull the other guy anywhere, but let's step forward a bit. And just pull it tight a little bit. Just pull it tight, get some tension on the rope. Okay, don't go anywhere. Okay. And so, um, okay. So, Monty, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with you here. I'm going to start with you here. So, Monty, um, let's suppose, because you're on this side of the stage, let's suppose that you've decided that you're going to try to earn God's favor. Okay? You're going to try to earn God's favor and through all your efforts. So, you'll need some effort. You need to pull on the rope in order to do that. Now, if that's the position, if that's how you approach God, I'm going to try to impress God. I'm going to try to please God. I'm going to try to do something that, uh, um, you know, I'm going to try to live perfectly so that God will accept me. You put yourself in a very difficult situation. So can you be God this morning? So, so I want you to step up here, Dave. And we're going to put God on the, as the anchor on this side of the team, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you feeling more confident or less? No, Don't, not, not, You're still good. You're still good. I love that. I love that. He's probably a professional tug of war guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's just tug a little bit. Don't get too crazy. Let's just see which way the rope goes. One, two, three, go. Oh. <laughs> they started fast, I think. They started fast. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. You want to try one more time? One more time. One, two, three, go. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> now, Monty, you seem to me like a really strong guy, but it seems like you're challenged. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the role of the accuser in your life, which is, no, I wouldn't get a volunteer to do this because it's a nasty thing. So I'm going to say, what? No, none of this is true. Sure, yeah, just okay, okay, okay. more dead weight to me. <laughs> so I'm going to say the things the accuser would say. He'd, he'd whisper things around you like, what kind of tug-of-war guy are you? Like, why don't you try harder? Why don't you try harder? Come on, try harder. Let's try one more time. Let's try one more time. Come on, try, Monty, try. Oh, you know what, Monty, just looks... I'm just going to stand over there now. Now, okay, Monty, you're onto something. You'd think, I'm just going to stand on that side because that seems to be the winning team, doesn't it? Um, but let's, let's stop for a second. If you're trying, if you say, I'm trying to impress God, I'm trying to earn my way with God, I'm trying to do everything that's right so that God, I can sort of pull God over to, be, to give me his approval, then the Bible talks about that. It says, God opposes the proud. That's why we put Kyle on this side. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Another thing that we read in scriptures says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Some of you are saying, I don't like this illustration because God's on the wrong side. Well, if you approach God trying to earn your way with him, he is on the wrong side. But if you humble yourself, so let's say Monty says, you know what, this isn't working. My life isn't working. I'm trying and trying. I'm redoubling my efforts, but I get the same results. I can't please God on my own, but I see that Jesus has already done what needs to be done in order for me to be right with God. And so I'm going to trust in what Jesus has done. It says, God gives grace to the humble. So let's, come on, Kyle, move over to this side. 
God gives grace to the humble. So now, Monty, it doesn't mean you don't, won't try on this side, but I can already tell that your <laughs> enthusiasm for the next poll has gone up. And I'm, I, uh, <laughs> all right, so let's just, let, now, I want you to do, I want you to try, but as you're, as you're trying and putting some effort, also you can trust, right? Yes. You can trust. Okay. Incredible halt this way. Okay, let's go. <laughs> One, two, three, go. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you know what? You've moved from the hummingbird side to the eagle side. And it feels a lot better, doesn't it? It does. It does feel a lot better. Can we give these guys a great big round of applause? So some people might object. They might say, you know, but aren't we supposed to obey God? This is always when you just share the gospel. It is. People always have this same objection. But I, I don't know. If people knew that God loved them, if they really knew that God loved them and, and he was for them, but wouldn't that stop them from trying? Stop them from putting out effort? Now, here's the thing. The gospel, the truth about Jesus, is not against effort. In fact, some of the people I know who put the most effort into how they live their lives are people who are trusting in Jesus. So it's not against effort, but it is against earning. It is against earning. So once you, once you trust in what God has done for you, your actions come out of your identity. It comes out of how you see yourself. You're not, uh, again, trying to earn your way with God, but you're trying to, uh, you're, you're not trying, you're responding to what God has done to you. Let me read you Titus chapter 2, 11 to 14. And if, I don't know if I have that in my notes, but if not, if you can put that up there. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us, this is Titus 2, 11 to 14. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself a people that are his very own eager to do good so there's a few great things in here one the grace of god that's appeared and offered salvation to us teaches us to say no to ungodliness and all these different things. So here's my question for you. What is your reason for saying no to ungodly and worldly passions and for living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age? What's your reason? What's your why? Why do you obey? Is it because you know the grace of God for your life and you've, you've experienced his grace for your sin, his forgiveness? Is it because you're eagerly awaiting what he has for you in the future? Right? It says, while we wait for the blessed hope. Is it because your primary identity is wrapped up in being a person that belongs to Jesus? Or here, let's compare it. Another way to say it. Do we say no to ungodly behavior to earn God's favor and love? Or is it because we have God's favor and love? And Paul would say, it's, it's the second. Because we have God's favor and love, that 
changes who, how we see ourselves. It changes our identity. Some people say, I'd rather, I, I think it would be better if God worked with, you know, a carrot and a stick, or, you know, you know if, you, if you do right, you, oh, there's carrots again, right? If you do right, you get a reward. If you do wrong, you get a punishment. And that would keep people in line better. But on this side of the equation, you have the fact that your identity has been transformed and that you see yourself differently and you're operating out of that identity. So when I read that very first verse where it says, stand firm, stand firm, I think he's talking about being standing firm in your mind and in your heart because you're going to be tempted to stop trusting in, in Christ and to start trying to earn. You're going to be tempted by that. The world around us works that way. That's, that's something that you're going to be told. You'll be told that in the world. You'll, you'll probably pick it up in church circles as well. Try to earn. Now, the, you know, it's appealing to us. Because if I earn, I deserve. And I'm the hero. And I can brag. Because I did it. But it's not as powerful for transformation as seeing yourself as a person belonging to God. So, I was looking at uh, some of the, I was looking at this challenge in my own life. I was looking at this challenge. A, a hymn came to my mind, one I sang when I was a little boy growing up in a little tiny church in Manitoba. And it was, um, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" You know, just to take him at his word, et cetera, et cetera. He talks about trusting Jesus. But the last line of the song came to mind as I was preparing the sermon. And that, this was it. It says, oh, for grace to trust him more. Here's the reality about our lives. Is that if you've come to faith in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus, that truth that he's done everything needed to please God and to make us righteous in him, that truth... Um, is meant to soak into every corner of your heart. It's meant to fill your thoughts and your mind. It's meant to penetrate into every area of your life. And so when the, the, the writer of the hymn is saying, oh, for grace, God, give me grace to trust you more, to trust you more. There are areas of our lives that sometimes the gospel has not really soaked into yet. I'm not saying you're not a child of God. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that the, these people were followers of Jesus. The people in Galatians were followers of Jesus. But someone cut in on them. They needed to discern that this wasn't the truth. They needed to stand firm and, and reject that and say, no, I'm going to keep trusting in Jesus, not trust in my own efforts. They needed, there's a battle for your mind in this area. And it goes back and forth. And I find myself back and forth sometimes in this battle. Sometimes I'm thinking about my schemes. My, I'm projecting how I will do something great in the future. Or I'm thinking about my past. And I'm either um, proud of what I did. Because look, I was the hero of the story in this story. Totally, re totally neglecting to recognize what Christ was doing in that. Or my regret because I was the failure in this story, and, and I don't see Christ's grace. I don't experience his grace in that as well. So all for grace to trust him more. As we encounter the gospel, we experience grace. As we keep encountering the gospel, 
we experience it more. As we become a community of believers who speak the gospel to each other, we experience it more. And it goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and it penetrates into our inner motivations. It penetrates. So, so you might say, hey, I know Jesus died for me so that I could be with him forever, and that's the gospel. That is the gospel. But that's not all that the gospel means to cha- transform in your life. It's meant to transform your thinking to its absolute core. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Why have we been going through Galatians? You say, Galatians, it seems like it's sort of a repetitive book. It keeps saying the same thing again and again and again. Because if this penetrates to the very core of who you are, it will transform you. It will transform you. This fall, we're going to be going through a a series. um, I'm not sure if we're going to retitle it. So far, we have our working title is Gospel Fluency. The challenge is that we think that sometimes as Christians, we're not as fluent in the gospel as we we should be. And so it doesn't have the transformative work that it needs to have or that could have in our lives. And so sometimes we find ourselves operating out of two worlds, out of trusting in Jesus and trusting in ourselves. And we're praying, Lord, give us grace to be transformed, to trust you, to trust you more. So what did I do when I found my own battle in this area? <laughs> when I found my own battle in this area, when I dis- not that I found it, I keep finding it and refinding it. I had a bad week a couple weeks ago. What do I do about that? Well, I say, whoa, why am I, why am I operating out of this side of the equation? Maybe some thoughts have come. Maybe some, I'm tempted to think in a certain way. Maybe, you know, like Paul said, something's cut in on me in such a way that I've gotten off track. And how do I get back on track? Well, for me, getting back on track was to really focus in on who I am in Jesus and what Jesus has done for me. Fix my eyes on Jesus, the author of my faith. If I go there, now, there's lots of excellent resources to do this. Amazing. Uh, A ministry that was quite popular years ago and still has quite a bit of uh, Freedom in Christ Ministries. They put out great things. I mean, you can just go on Pinterest and look up who I am in Christ. And you'll get lists. You know, I mean, I don't know if Pinterest is always the best source, but you can find it anywhere on the internet. Um, uh, go on YouTube, Who I Am in Christ. And people will read scripture over you. I found one where this one lady, she, her, all the videos she made were just reading scripture online. She's got a ton of followers. Why? Because she reads clearly scripture. And people are like, I just need to listen to 15 minutes of you reading scripture over my life. Why? Because the gospel is what I need to transform my life. And maybe for some people, they don't have anyone else in community who's speaking the gospel truths over their own life, and so they say, I'll I'll take a YouTube video that will tell me who I am in Jesus. So I started listening to different ones and reading different ones. I found a great uh, Desiring God, a website I go to. They had a great little thing called 12 Gospel Passages to Soak In. And it was just like everyone was two or three verses from different parts of the Bible, and I was just reading them, and I read it through a few different times and soaking in it, and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's restoring my soul and also bringing me back to trust in Jesus. I'm going to share with you one video this morning that I liked of many of the ones I saw that just helps us again hear the gospel, recognize the, the truth about Jesus, 
And to take us away from being the hero of the story, to take us away from being the central character, to take us away from our despair over our failures or our arrogance over our successes, to bring us back and to recognize that Jesus is a central figure in our lives. And as we fix our eyes on him, he brings health to our souls. So let's just watch this video together. If, if I, this is the condition, the why, the question mark over each of our lives. If, if I, if I am good enough, if I don't mess up too much, if I go to the right church, if I prove to God my worth, if I pray before I eat, if I read scripture before I sleep, if I do enough good works, if I share the gospel with those who search, if I always give it my best try, if I do the most I can before I die, if, 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 if I. Now the problem with these questioning lines is not actually that you're asking if, but that your if is dependent upon your I. Because If you're trying to provide yourself with an equation that assures you of your salvation and you're trying to use yourself as the standard, the cause, the determinant, the foundation, then all you will ever get out of your internal interrogations to the question, have I finally done enough to receive salvation, will be a resounding negative declaration No, no, you aren't good enough. No, you messed up too much. No, you did not do enough good works. No, you did not prove to God your worth. No, you didn't give it your best try. No, you didn't do enough before you died. If your if is based on your I, then your assurance of salvation will always be denied. And yet, for every single one of us, this is what we've tried to base our salvation on self-evaluation. But all we ever get out of this arrangement is condemnation. That's why you feel lacking, no matter how hard you try, because your if is based on your I. It's why you feel disobedient no matter how often you comply because your if is based on your I. It's why you feel distant like a misfit, like a second-class citizen. It's why you feel empty no matter how much you supply because your if is based on your I. And your I can never measure up to the standard of God on high. And that's not because his standards are awry, but it's because he is perfect and we always fall short of that prize. And so there is always condemnation for those who are in I. But there is good news. There is gospel free to all without price. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So let's make a new condition. Let's 
Let's ask a different why. With the old one gone, let's fly a freshly drawn question mark over each of our lives. Let's ask a new if to replace our if eyes. Let's ask if, if Christ, if Christ was good enough. If Christ loved so much, if Christ died to save his church, if Christ rose to give us his worth, if Christ provided bread of life to eat, if Christ fulfilled the scriptures by crushing death beneath his feet, if Christ performed every good work, sought out those who never searched, died the death we should have died, beat the grave to raise us to life, if, 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 if... Christ. Now, the joy within these questioning lines is that our if is no longer dependent on something that we supplied. Instead, the if of our salvation is dependent on the one who loved us so much that he was crucified. So, let's abandon our if eyes and run towards if Christ. Let's move from feeling like I'm condemned to say I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither heights nor depths, not my own faults or mess ups, not my guilt or distrust, nothing can separate me from the love of God because all my ifs Christ answered on the cross. And so we can ask one final if, and with it, all condemnation is crushed. If God is for us, who can be against us? Hey, my name is David. Amen. Worship team, I invite you to come up and join me at the end here. Let's stand together.